0: The global burden of cryptococcal meningitis is almost a quarter of a million cases, with approximately 181,000 deaths every year, and if left untreated, it is pretty much universally fatal. 75% of the world's cases occur in sub-Saharan Africa, but much has advanced in terms of diagnostics and treatment in recent years. This is Microbe Mail, and I'm your host, Linda Natchigabai. My guest today is Professor Nilesh Govender. Nilesh is the head of the Center for Healthcare-Associated Infections, Antimicrobial Resistance and Mycoses at the National Institute for Communicable Diseases. And he's also a professor in the School of Pathology at Fitz University. Hi Nilesh, it's great to have you join me on the show and welcome to Mail.
1: Thanks, Vin. Thanks for the invitation.
0: Before we start today's fun fungal session, I've got a couple of reminders for you. If you've not done so yet, do sign up for updates on the MicroMail website and follow us on sh- social media. If you think someone else might enjoy the MicrobeMail content, please forward all of our details. You'll find MicroMail wherever you listen to podcasts or directly on our website, and all of the links to our sites are available in the show notes. Okay, Nilesh, are you ready to start some decrypting of the Cryptococcus?
1: I certainly am, Vin. I think it's a really important topic. Um, crypto, as you mentioned, is the second most common or important cause of AIDS deaths after tuberculosis. It's a really neglected fungal infection. There's limited funding, and I really do think it deserves global attention. Um, for your listeners, also important to remember that although um, cryptomeningitis usually occurs among people with advanced HIV disease. It also occurs in the apparently healthy people and in those with other conditions. Um, for example, people with, um, who've had a transplant. Um, cryptomeningitis is caused by a fungus, um, which is called cryptococcus. Um, and this fungus is found in the environment and the vast majority of people will have had universal expo- will have will have been exposed to cryptococcus by the age of two, but usually develop disease only when their immune system weakens.
0: Okay, that was a really great introduction to start off this discussion. And as I've already alluded to earlier, um, severity of illness and disease with cryptococcus is quite severe. So can you start by talking us through cryptococcus diagnosis and how this was done in the past?
1: So of course, when you have a person with um, symptoms of meningitis, um, there really does need to be a laboratory confirmation. And so in order for this to happen, um, cerebrospinal fluid needs to be submitted to the laboratory. So... People need to have a lumbar puncture done, which unfortunately is not always available in low-resource settings. If CSF is sent to the microbiology laboratories, there are several traditional microbiology methods which are used. Um, So direct microscopy um, is is obviously very useful. And there's a special technique called India Inc., um, microscopy, essentially, where the India ink stain acts as a negative stain for the cryptococcal capsule and highlights um, the very large polysaccharide capsule of these fungal organisms. Um, The laboratory can also do antigen testing, and in certain laboratories, fungal culture is also available, but Unfortunately, that's not widely available in re- in low-resource settings. The India ink assay is not very sensitive compared to culture, mm-hmm. and there are several antigen test formats. The older antigen test format is the latex agglutination test. Um, essential, essentially, these are latex beads coated with antibodies, and they clump together when antigen is present in the in the sample, Uh, but there are newer methods.
0: So how has the diagnostic landscape changed for cryptococcal meningitis? And what would your recommendation be for using these old tests, such as the India Inc and Culture?
1: So there's a new format of the cryptococcal antigen test. Um, So the antigen test is now available in a lateral flow Um, assay format and that's really simplified diagnosis of cryptococcal disease and it's also facilitated screening of high-risk patients with advanced HIV disease even without cryptomeningitis symptoms in large programs. So fungal culture is the gold standard for diagnosis of cryptomeningitis and just to remember it's the only way to diagnose the current cryptococcal meningitis. Right. Fungal culture is also really useful for susceptibility testing. And if you culture the fungus, you then can also genotype the fungus if resources allow. Mm-hmm. India ink staining, that's no longer routinely recommended in international and in local guidelines. And that's largely because the India ink. Um, test is, is less sensitive than um, equivalent antigen tests.
0: Right, and just to remind our listeners that a lateral flow assay is kind of like a dipsticks test, so very easy and, and quick to perform, which is why um, it's such a useful test. And then Nilesh, just to, to on that point of the fungal culture being the only way to diagnose recurrent episodes, the reason for that is, because the antigen can remain positive for a prolonged period of time, right?
1: That's exactly right. So neither India Inc. nor um, cryptococcal antigen tests are useful uh, for diagnosis of recurrent episodes. And that's because, as you say, birthly fungal antigen remains in body fluids for weeks to months mm. after the initial diagnosis. And so you know, detection later on is not useful. Um, And also India ink is not that useful for recurrent episodes because um, you can observe um, non-viable or dead microorganisms under the microscope in body fluids even um, after treatment has been successfully completed. So you do need culture to identify the viable organisms. Okay, all right, great.
0: So in terms of the lateral flow assay, how has this actually been incorporated into cryptococcal disease management programs in South Africa and in other low and middle income countries?
1: So South Africa now has the largest reflex laboratory antigen screening program globally. And this is really increased detection of cryptococcal disease. Essentially how this works is we've got a very large CD4 testing program. Um, And of course we've got an enormous um, HIV program because the the number of um, people living with HIV in South Africa is very high. Mm -hmm. So people with um, HIV will have a CD4 test ordered usually at the time of initial diagnosis. So baseline, uh, but they may also have a CD4 tests ordered, you know, various other times during their uh, disease course. Um, and so blood is then submitted to the laboratory for a CD4 test. And if that CD4 test um, shows that the count is less than 100, mm-hmm. um, we use remnant blood from the same sample to test for cryptococcal antigen. And that's really a quick and convenient way to identify people with cryptococcal antigenemia. Mm. And that really, as I said, is increased detection of crypto disease in South Africa. Um, The problem is that even though we're increasing diagnoses, Mm -hmm. um, we know that only half of people who screen positive through the program actually started on antifungal medicines, which is a major gap in the program, absolutely. and so it's a missed opportunity to save lives. And we, so we really need to do much better to show a mortality reduction, or to you know translate the screening program into um, into a way to reduce deaths.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've kind of won half the battle, but we still need to complete the other half with with getting patients on treatment. Exactly. So cryptococcus has also been included, Nilesh, in some of the newer syndrome multiplex molecular panels for the diagnosis of meningitis. So just out of interest, how does these actually fare compared to the lateral flow assay, and would you recommend their use?
1: So as you say, Crypto is included in some of these molecular panels, and I think they've got high sensitivity and specificity compared to CSF culture. But the sensitivity is lower when you compare to CSF crypto antigen tests. Um, Just remember, though, that um, the LFA, as we've just mentioned, remains positive for months to years, uh, with traces of the antigen remaining in the CSF. Um, So I wouldn't specifically recommend these molecular tests for cryptomenagitis diagnosis unless this panel, these molecular panels are requested for some other purpose and crypto is incidentally um, found. If if someone suspects cryptomenagitis, I would recommend uh, a more sensitive Um, Assay. So certainly I would recommend um, a crypto antigen test over a PCR assay.
0: Okay. So if it's positive, it's helpful, but if it's negative and you're suspecting crypto, um, follow up with another test.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: And then last question regarding diagnostics. Can we expect any further updates with regards to diagnostic tests in the next few years?
1: So there have been some exciting developments with regard to crypto antigen assays. So there are some semi-quantitative assays on the market. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, with the standard dipstick assay, the lateral flow assay, one can actually um, get a sense of, you can, you can identify or determine the amount of antigen present in the sample by doing serial dilutions of the sample, and then you know, working out the titer. Um, but that's really labor-intensive. So semi-quantitative assays offer a single-step um, method to quantify antigen in, in blood and CSF samples. As far as I know, there are two commercial assays available currently. The assays have been used in two clinical contexts. Um, the first, the first um, is really where we're trying to determine if uh, someone with cryptoantigenemia needs um, a lumbar puncture. At the moment, it's recommended that everyone who has crypto-antigenemia, um, regardless of symptoms, gets a lumbar puncture. But as I mentioned, lumbar puncture is not always widely available. Right. And in places where lumbar puncture would not be available. Would it be useful then to quantify the amount of crypto antigen in the blood and then help, you know, then decide if someone needs to be referred for lumbar puncture? So, in fact, you know, there have been some studies showing that higher scores in the blood, uh, higher scores meaning higher um, levels of antigen in the blood, so where the semi-quantitative assay has high score, Mm -hmm. um, is associated with concurrent cryptomeningitis. And so those patients should then be referred for lumbar puncture. In a study we did, in fact, um, a score of three on the MESQ assay um, identified almost everyone with concurrent meningitis. It wasn't it wasn't you know completely specific, Mm -hmm. but it is it is then useful for deciding whether you can, you should refer someone for no. puncture. No. The second clinical context is to try to decide um, what's the prognosis of these people with cryptoantigenemia. Should they, you know, at the moment, the, the treatment for cryptoantigenemia is standardized. Everyone gets fluconazole monotherapy. Yes. But it's possible that some patients may do worse. And in fact, it's possible that people with higher antigen titans um, in their blood actually have worse outcomes. So semi-quantitative assays may be able to stratify patients um, and you know, help decide if some people would do better with enhanced antifungal treatment. Mm-hmm. Okay. This, all this you know, still needs to really be validated in prospective studies. Um, there's also some work on a quantitative Crypto PCR assay, mm-hmm. which has the potential to monitor response to CM treatment okay. in complex in complex cases. But um, that also requires some validation.
0: Well, these all sound very exciting. So I think we'll watch the space and see what comes up over the next few years. And then moving on to treatment, can you summarize the major changes in management of cryptococcal meningitis and the, how this has affected patient outcomes?
1: So cryptomeningitis treatment is complex. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot, you know, patients with HIV need to be treated for a long time. Um, And the regimen is divided into three separate parts. There's the induction phase, the consolidation phase, and the maintenance phase. Mm -hmm. So if someone isn't treated with antifungal treatment, the mortality is 100%. um, And this has been shown in... Uh, prospective cohort studies prior to antiretroviral treatment and antifungal treatment being widely available. Mm. If patients are treated with conazole and monotherapy, the mortality is still extremely high, um, around 70% or so. Um, so, you know, there have been some trials completed in recent years which have really revolutionized um, the treatment of cryptomeningitis in low and middle income countries. Yes. So the actor trial, for instance, uh, was completed and published in 2017-2018, mm-hmm. um, with, with, a, with, a, with an update to the WHO guideline that followed thereafter. And so essentially the ACTA trial showed that cytosine um, is the most is the best part Partner antifungal medicine, um, rather than rather than fluconazole, when used in combination with um, amphotericin B. Nice. So, uh, so so essentially, the WHO then recommended that, uh, that the preferred regimen should be a week of amphotericin B mm-hmm. combined with glucytosine followed by another week of high dose gluconazole and that, that really does drop the mortality substantially. Um, in South Africa, we've not had access to flucytosine. Yes. Um, until recently, in fact. Um, there have been some recent changes. Um, SOPRO recently registered flucytosine. Um, but prior to that, we only had access to flucytosine through um, a national access program. And we actually showed that in that access program in routine care, if patients were treated with um, a pre cytosine containing regimen, it cut the mortality by half,
0: wow. which
1: was a really dramatic um, finding and, yeah. and really does provide additional real-world evidence um, in addition to what was shown in the ACTA trial. Yeah, now, most recently, Uh, The ambition trial was published in um, just a month or so ago, um, and the WHO has already updated its guidance. So essentially the ambition trial recommends, or from the ambition trial, we can now see that one can use a single high dose of liposomal amphotericin B combined with flucytocine and fluconazole, and that... um, and that simplified regimen um, brings the mortality to below 30%. It's also simpler to administer. Um, it's associated with far less toxicity, and it's definitely preferred by healthcare workers.
0: Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, so, really exciting to see all of these advances in the last few years. Um, for the listeners' benefits, I'll make sure that I put the ACTED trial, the AMBITION trial, and the latest WHO update in the show notes, so they can have a read for themselves. Um, so one of the biggest challenges is to management is the lack of clinical breakpoints for these antifungal agents. And, and so often management is based on guideline recommendations rather than on antifungal susceptibility testing as we do for other fungal infections, such as candidemia, for example. Milesh, can you explain why this is and if we can expect this to change in the near future?
1: So breakpoints are obviously really useful to, to determine if, um, if an isolate is susceptible or resistant. Um, and that really helps with choosing um, a, a regimen for, for management. It's obviously less relevant to cryptomeningitis because induction treatment, as I've, as I've explained, mm-hmm. has really been refined by a series of large randomized controlled trials. Right. Um, and so, you know, those regimens are standardized and baseline susceptibility testing hasn't really been found to be useful. Okay. However, for recurrent episodes of cryptomeningitis, meningitis, um, susceptibility testing is far more relevant. Um, okay. However, susceptibility testing is not, is not that straightforward. Um, the reference method is a broth dilution test, and that's usually only offered in reference laboratories. The other problem is that In the absence of breakpoints, MITs are difficult to interpret. We do use epidemiological cutoff values, um, which essentially help us decide if an isolate is wild type or non-wild type. Essentially, wild type isolates um, don't have resistance mutations and those which are not wild type um, would have resistance mutations. I think that, you know, the lack of clinical breakpoint situation is unlikely to change unless we can gather a large amount of paired MIC and outcome data for recurrent episodes. Um, but also just remember that the MIC is only one factor
0: yes.
1: in a really complex clinical condition. And so there are much more important factors that govern the outcome for a patient. Uh, for instance, um, uh, you know the mental status of that patient at at the time of diagnosis, mm-hmm. um, the timing of diagnosis, the the treatment regimen, etc. So you know, and CD four count at baseline. So there are multiple factors which which affect the outcome for meningitis Absolutely.
0: Okay. Thanks. That was a that was a helpful explanation. And if the listeners are interested to hearing more about MIC testing, um, Uh, epidemiological cutoff values and broth microdilution, please have a listen to episode 16 of What's in an MIC. And we go through quite a lot of complex um, explanations there. Nilesh, can we expect any management changes in the next few years?
1: Um, So certainly in low and middle income countries, I think that, you know, the main issue is really access rather than altering management regimens any further. Yes. You know, ambition was the largest trial of cryptomeningitis and took years to complete. So I do not expect that we'll see any major data for cryptomeningitis for some time to come. Um, it would really be nice to aim for, you know, mortality rates below 20% mm. as is seen in high-income countries, but that's not going to be achieved by tweaking induction treatment alone, mm-hmm. what you need to do is you need to ensure that people are diagnosed with HIV at much earlier time points so they don't go on to develop advanced HIV disease. Yes. Um, crypto screening is really important because that allows us to diagnose cryptococcal disease at an earlier time point so that you know we can actually intervene before meningitis occurs. Um other important interventions are optimal antiretroviral treatment timing. Mm-hmm. Um, large clinical trials have shown us that um with cryptomeningitis you, you shouldn't start um or restart effective ART um in you know too early. Wow. You know, one needs to wait four to six weeks before before ART is initiated or reinitiated. Yes. And other important management um, strategies are managing raised intracranial pressure. A large proportion of people with cryptomeningitis will have raised intracranial pressure and will need um, repeated therapeutic lumbar punctures. Um, and also, of course, once patients are discharged from hospital, you need to ensure that they remain adherent to long-term antifungal maintenance treatment, they need to adhere to antiviral antivir- 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 treatment. So, you know, it's it's not just about tweaking induction treatment, yeah. um, although that is important. So a couple of other things. Um, there are some novel agents in clinical trials at the moment. Just as an example, the ENACT trial, um, I think is in phase one or phase two. Um, I'm not looking at an oral formulation of amphotericin B. There also are some other novel agents um, which have anti-cryptococcal activity, for example, manager picks. And we're also doing some work on cryptococcal antigenemia, which is, of course, a distinct uh, clinical entity to Uh, We know that the mortality among people with antigenemia is still around, 20 to 30 percent with fluconazole monotherapy, and people die of cryptomeningitis even while they're on treatment um, with fluconazole. So, there are some ongoing trials to opt to to look at optimal um, treatment for crypto Uh, There are two trials ongoing the effect trial, Mm -hmm. which is looking at a combination of fluconazole and flucytosine versus fluconazole alone for people with antigenia. And then there's the acacia trial, which is a looking at um, single high dose like somal amphotericin B plus fluconazole versus fluconazole alone for people with antigenia.
0: Wow, these all sound very, very exciting. And yeah, really interesting to see what these come up with. I'm glad you pronounced manog. How did you pronounce it? Mano-G picks the drug?
1: It's manager picks. Manager
0: picks, because I see it in papers all the time, and I never know how to say it. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> okay, Nilesh. so we also like to address issues specific to gender and children as well. So have there been any advances in diagnosis or management of cryptococcal meningitis that may relate to children specifically or allude to some kind of gender differences?
1: So, pediatric cryptococcal disease is definitely a neglected area. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, in South Africa, we do screen for crypto antigenemia in all age groups uh, because, of course, our reflex crypto antigen screening program doesn't um, doesn't discriminate by age. Okay. Essentially, every anyone with an absolute CD four count below one hundred will be reflexively tested, right. um, and certainly we have shown that, you know, the incidence of pediatric cryptococcal meningitis is, well, certainly a few years ago was, was still relatively high, particularly in the adolescent age group. Right. Um, and then from a gender point of view, um, I think that what we've certainly seen is there definitely is um, a difference um, in the in, in the population with advanced HIV disease and crypto uh, and, and those who develop crypto. You know, earlier on in the HIV epidemic, uh, we saw many more women who developed cryptococcal meningitis and had advanced HIV disease. But I think over the last 10 to 15 years, we've seen a shift in that epidemiology. And we now see that older men, are more likely to be diagnosed with advanced HIV disease and therefore with cryptoantigenemia and with meningitis.
0: Okay, so Nilesh, it's time for our spotlight feature and we've got another mini microbe message for you and our listeners to listen to today. Take a listen. Hi, everyone. My name is Omar Mushri and I'm eight years old. My mom and dad are both dentists, so I wanted to share something with you. Did you know there are over 6 billion germs in the mouth? Some are good and some are really bad. The bad ones can cause infection in the mouth and travel all the way to the brain and cause Alzheimer's disease. So please visit your dentist and keep your... Those guns healthy and strong.
1: Thanks, Ben. I heard that. So, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, just keeping on the the, the, the fungal theme, um, you know, our bodies are colonized by good and bad microbes. And, of course, um, the, the, you know, the, the good microbes keep the bad ones in check. Um, so we really do need to do our best to to maintain some homeostasis. Um, crypto, of course, Cryptococcus is not generally generally considered to be a colonizer. It's a, you know, a human yeah. commensal. Right. Um, it's an environmental fungus, and so you know, if you if you find it, if you find Cryptococcus, for instance, in in the gut or in the stool, for instance, it would probably just be a transient passenger right. rather than a, um, you know, an actual colonizer. So we assume that with cryptomeningitis, um, uh, you know, that people inhale the, the fungus from the environment rather than developing it as a result of fungal overgrowth yes. on the skin or in the gut. Right. Okay, great.
0: Um, So, Nilesh, can you give our listeners one last take-home message about the diagnosis and treatment of cryptococcal meningitis?
1: Yes, I I think, you know, we've got a global framework in place now to try to end cryptomeningitis deaths by 2030. It's an ambitious goal, Mm. um, but really in order to do this, the, the, the main ways we... We, we think we'll be able to do that is by identifying people with advanced HIV disease. Um, so making sure that people know their HIV status and, are, and have a baseline CD4 test. We also make, need to make sure that people with advanced HIV disease are screened for crypto. And then among those who have cryptococcal disease, we need to make sure that they have good access to the best induction treatment for meningitis, And, that, you know, of course, that means access to antifungal medicines like flucytocine and liposomal amphotericin B. Absolutely.
0: Great. Thanks, Nilesh. It was so wonderful chatting to you and finally catching up with all the latest from the fantastic world of fungi. And I hope you'll be able to join us again sometime soon on Microbe Mail.
1: Thanks, Ben. Great to join you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to get your feedback by email or on social media. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, please send us an email at mail.microbe at gmail.com. That's it for me, Vin, your microbe messenger. See you again soon with more Contagious Mail.